Thank you, praise team. I hope you've been blessed so far today, have we not? Amen? God is good. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is here. He is with us, and he has been leading us in this time of worship. Worship is truly about God. It's not about us. We are simply the participants. He is the audience, and he receives our worship, and his heart is moved because of the love that we show him. I pray you've had a blessed week as well. God is good, isn't he? Even amidst trials, tribulations, even amidst difficult situations like we're dealing with today in our church family, God is still good. We can praise him in the midst of hard times because his goodness never fails. I was reminded this week about what it means to experience the goodness of God. And there are some things in, in my life, in my family, where I saw God working. There was things in my family's health with my immediate family outside of this state that I've been praying about, that I've been worried about, but I see God's hand. Not all the answers are there yet, but I trust him. We trust him. God is good. We see him moving. I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're taking a new direction in our series, in our theme this year, of renewal. And this sermon, this teaching, is going to be dealing with what it means to experience the grace of God through giving. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth after his third missionary journey. A year later, he writes the second letter to the same church because they're going through some issues. They had some false teachers who crept in, who diverted their attention, convinced many people, so they got off track. He sends Titus to to get them back on track. They listened to the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is is counseling them. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, oh, by the way, do we have it? Chapter 8, verse 1. Say Russell if you have it. Keep using his name. (laughs) Amen. All right. Verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints." And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus, as we just mentioned, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. This is the church of Corinth. But as you abound in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I hope you've noticed in this passage there's a theme, and it's grace. If you've caught nothing from this passage, if you get nothing from this time together, remember the word grace. It is key. It is central to what Paul is saying. What's happening here? Paul is on his third missionary journey, and Paul had organized a collection just a year earlier for the saints back in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the hub of mission, of ministry. That is where the launching pad was for missionaries to go out, the apostles, to evangelize the known world. And so it would cost money, it would cost resources. And so the church in Jerusalem would use resources to send the apostles out. But on top of that, there was also persecution that was heavy in Jerusalem on the church. And there was even famines that had decimated the area. And so the church in Jerusalem, now 
which once was the, the place where the, the funding was, the resources, was now destitute. And so Paul says, hey, to the other churches, let's make a collection for the church that had sponsored us. Now we will sponsor them and help those who were in need there. And so he's writing to the church in Corinth. And by the way, the church in Corinth, they had made a promise, a, a, a commitment the year before. It was like a capital campaign. They said, we'll give this much. We'll give our donation. And it's been a year, but they had not made good on their promise because of the false teachers, because of them getting off track. And so Paul's sent Titus, and now he's saying, hey, you've repented. You are now walking with Jesus again. Hey, let's get back on track. What about your promise? What about your commitment? And so in order to inspire the Corinthians, he urges them to follow the example of the generosity of the churches in Macedonia. By the way, how many of us like to be compared with somebody else? Have you ever had that dynamic in your family where your parents said, why can't you do it like your brother? Why don't you be more like so-and-so? That's That's hard. Paul wasn't doing that, by the way. But what he was doing was saying, by the example of this church there in Macedonia, the churches of Macedonia, it should inspire you to see their generosity. It would spur you on to fulfill your commitment as well. He wasn't saying, look at them. He was saying, learn from them. It's within this context that Paul communicates one of the most profound truths in all of Scripture related to giving which we're going to explore a little bit this morning. Let's bow our heads for one more word of prayer as we continue in this study. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are here because we love you. We are here because of your grace. We are here because of your goodness. And it's within that context of your grace and your goodness and your love that we open your word to learn, to be transformed but most to worship you because of the precious truths that reflect who you are to us and then through us to the world around us. And so, Father, today we pray that we would be transformed as our eyes are fixed on you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go back to our passage, chapter 8, and we're going to pause a little bit in the first few verses here because there's some important things to notice. Chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover again, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was 100 miles north of Corinth, so it was not close, but it was was actually far in regards to their travel times. And so these churches included Philippi, Thessalonica, but also there was the church of Berea who was known for their digging in the Word of God, their knowledge of the Word, their study of Scripture, the Bereans. But these individual churches in Macedonia were also known for their generosity. The church in Philippi continually sponsored and and helped out the apostles as they'd come through those cities and provided for their needs liberally. Verse 2 says in that, that the great trial, and this is describing their situation, that in great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, notice that, this is important, abounded in the riches of their liberality. What's Paul saying here? He's using two terms to describe their current situation. The Macedonian churches, these three churches at least in Macedonia, were experiencing some serious issues. They were seriously facing some things that were hard. They were afflicted. They were going through impoverished times. They too, just like in Jerusalem, were suffering severe persecution that was going on continually. It was harsh. And many even were killed during that time. Persecution was strong. The the area was decimated by three separate wars that came through and just decimated the entire region of Macedonia. And so resources were gone. People were killed. The landscape was changed. War had torn the whole area economically. And by the way, the Christians in Macedonia were mostly of the lower social class in the Roman Roman society. And so naturally, they didn't have a lot of money as it was. Coupled with all these things, they were hurting. They were impoverished. But notice something. 
even though they were afflicted with persecution, they were facing hard times that you and I probably have never faced before, to the degree and to the, to the kind of things they were doing. They demonstrated two things, though, in relationship to both affliction and poverty. In response to affliction, what's it say? It says that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their what? Of their joy. How many of us were being afflicted, when we're being tried, when we're being persecuted? Maybe at work, maybe in our family, maybe by somebody we thought was our friend. When do we feel joy when we're being persecuted? And then the question is, how could this church feel joy and experience joy in the midst of such a hard time where people were being persecuted, possibly even tortured and killed, imprisoned? How could they experience joy? But, but add to that, it says they were not just going through affliction, but they were also going through great poverty. They were impoverished. They didn't even have what it took to meet their daily needs. And yet in their poverty, what's it say? They abounded in the riches of their liberality. That means they gave not out of obligation, but they gave willingly and gladly from their hearts in abundance. So how do you give an abundance when you don't have a lot? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It, It almost seems like Paul is playing with his words here. In the midst of trial and affliction... They had joy and liberality. They demonstrated these things, but how? Because most of us, when we're going through affliction and poverty and going through hard times, instead of giving, what do we do? <laughs> we, we, we gather, right? We, we hoard. Case in point, many of you still have cases of toilet paper in your house and containers of disinfectant wipes in your cabinets because during the hard times we've been experiencing, you've stockpiled. I got a couple, at least a few containers of those wipes. I don't know if I'm ever going to use them all. But during hard times, we naturally want to gather, we want to hold on to things because we're afraid what will happen if we don't have those essentials anymore. But the church in Macedonia is doing the exact opposite. Instead of hoarding the toilet paper, they would have been giving it away. They've been giving away the disinfectant wipes during COVID. Whatever they got that seemed to be in short supply, they wouldn't hold on to. They were giving. They were giving above and beyond what they had. What an amazing picture of generosity this church was portraying. Verse 3, Paul says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, and this, this is profound, yes, and beyond their ability, They were freely willing. It says they were not just giving according to their ability. They were giving beyond their ability. They just didn't give according to what they had, but beyond their means. They were not stingy. This time of the year, I always remember when I was a kid. The fall here is different than up north. Things kind of stay the same color outside. You don't have the leaves changing color. You have the pumpkins and, and a semblance of fall here. But one thing up north that I always remember was when the fall came, my mom would always get each of us a bag of candy corns. How many of you guys like candy corns? I don't like them. <laughs> and as a kid, we didn't get a lot of sweets, so that was great. It was like Christmas early. But for some reason through the years, I just kind of don't like them anymore. I don't know. They're just too sweet. But anyway, when I was a kid, they were my thing. I loved them. And so my mom would give us each a bag of candy corns, and we treasured those because they were candy that we didn't usually get very often. And so I remember when I'd get my candy corns, I'd lay down in our living room floor with a bowl, and I'd pour them in the bowl, and I would take each one and do something very specific to it. So I took each one, and I would bite the white tip off. So I take each corn, bite the tip, take another one, bite the tip, keep going through the whole bowl till I had them all done. And so one day my mom came in, one of, the, one of these years she goes, Brian, what are you doing? I said, I'm just biting the tips off my candy corn. And she goes, well, why? I said, well, I don't want David touching my candy corn. 
because I know he's going to see my candy corn, he's going to finish his up, and he's going to start eating mine. And I know if I bite it, he's not going to want it because he doesn't want my germs. You know, brothers and sisters, we don't do that. I was being stingy. I was so afraid that I'd lose my candy corns that I was securing them by nibbling off the tip. Now, I have been accused, and I've shared this before, of being a little stingy in my own realm, in my own regard. And maybe it goes back. How do I share this with you? Our first date, Miriam and I, we went bowling. And it was on that date that, that Miriam, probably one of my first dates ever. I was 16 years old, 15, almost 16. She, she goes, I'm going to pay. And I was like, oh, really? You know, when she asked about paying, she wasn't intending for her to pay. It was for me to say, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. But instead, I said, oh, thank you. That's so nice of you. <laughs> and she went ahead and paid, didn't say anything until later on. And she goes, you know, Brian, she goes, I know I paid, but you were really supposed to pay. I said, well, why didn't she just say that? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a Spanish thing. But, but anyway, I learned very quickly. <laughs> but the guy always pays. But from that moment on, I was labeled as the cheap guy. And honestly, probably as I was young, I had some stingy moments. But as I look at the church, comparing with some of my stingy moments, this church was the total opposite. They would have given their candy corn willfully. They would have paid for that bowling without even asking. They would have said, no, no, we'll pay. There's a difference here because this group of people gave not just with what they had, which is sometimes hard in and of itself when we have limited amounts of things, but the Bible says that they gave beyond what they actually could. What does that mean? It means the Macedonians, because they were so anxious to help the church in Jerusalem when they themselves were suffering and they were impoverished, they said, we're going to actually sell things we have, give more than we can even afford to give to help the people in Jerusalem. They gave up beyond what they could have. They did without so the people in Jerusalem could have something to do with. Maybe it's the difference between superficial and sacrificial giving. When it comes to giving till it hurts, which they did, we typically, I know I do at times, have a low pain threshold. It's hard. Especially when we don't have it. That's why in Mark chapter 12, Jesus commends the, the widow not for giving so much, but for keeping so little. She gave all that she had and kept nothing, even though she really needed it. Verse 4, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Notice that word, Fellowship. Beyond meeting the needs of the recipient, such an offering would be a, a powerful demonstration of the early church. And I believe the church of today, which has the same picture. Because Paul's congregations were largely of Gentile believers, non-Jewish people. But the people in Jerusalem were largely Jewish in their church population. And so it was a picture of a united front, a united church, that did not see barriers because of race, because of social status, or even because of gender, because as, as Paul shares, we are all one in Christ. It demonstrates which something in their day and age was very rare, if not ever seen. A united front across all boundaries. Because the system of their culture was very different than that. But they were an example of what it meant to be walking with Jesus. The offering would express, express a strong unity in Christ that transcended any barrier in the church. And this word fellowship here signifies that they were one in heart and mind with the people in Jerusalem. Even though they were mostly Jews, these were Gentiles. They could relate. They weren't just being sympathetic by sending money. They were being empathetic. They could experience what they experienced. They were experiencing it. They know what they're going through. And so they gave out of their empathy 
and said, we are with you in heart and soul and mind. We are with you in grace because we've been there and we're, we are there right now. How many times do we as a church come together and empathize with each other when we're going through things? I praise God, this is one of those churches that I believe does it more than most. But when somebody's hurting, do we all hurt? When somebody's struggling, do we come alongside them and struggle with them in the fellowship of believers? The Bible says that when one part of the body suffers, what's it say? It says we all suffer together. Our hearts are knit together in Jesus. And so when one hurts because of Christ uniting us, we all feel the burn. We all feel the pain. Let us exemplify this at Spring Meadows, which I believe is the most loving church here in the Florida Conference. But let us live it and let us demonstrate this to the world around us. So we wonder what in the world motivated these churches in Macedonia who are impoverished, who are stricken by all sorts of trials and tribulations. What was the motivation? How in the world could they do what they did? What was the motivating factor? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. It says here, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. In other words, Paul's not saying, I'm not giving you a mandate. I'm not forcing you. But we are comparing your sincerity, in other words, the promise you've made to contribute to this, this endeavor, by the diligence of others. And here's why, as he is looking and speaking of the Macedonian church. For you know the what? There's that word again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he had the boundless riches of the universe. He is limitless. He owns everything. He is the Lord of all. Nothing is outside of his reach or his dominion in the entire creation. And so we talk about him being rich. It's an understatement. <laughs> he owns everything. Yet for your sakes he became poor. He owned everything, but he gave up everything. Which makes the condescension of Jesus from the throne of the universe down to this world all the more amazing and unbelievable. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty, what? Might become rich. What an amazing promise. This is the gospel. This is the message of grace that Jesus gave up everything for us. He was rich and he became poor so that we could become rich through his poverty, through his death, through his condescension, that we could be lifted up and placed in heavenly places with him today as joint heirs, as sons and daughters of the kingdom. Amen? We have a position today as believers in Jesus that no other created being, not even the angels, can experience. As the sons and daughters of God, co-heirs, brothers and sisters with Jesus, we are with him in heavenly places, and one day soon, hallelujah, we will be with him in person forever. He is coming soon. He's coming to take us home. It's at times like this day today that we remember that this world is not our home. When we lose our loved ones, we lose people who are dear to us. As a church family, we hurt. But we do not mourn like others mourn because we have hope in Jesus. Amen? We have hope in him. He's coming soon. One day, our faith will be made sight and God's grace in its fullness will be experienced in all of its goodness, all of its glory as we dwell with him forever. The grace of Jesus is the motivation behind the Macedonians' generosity. Maybe it sounds too simple. Let me say it again. The grace of Jesus Christ is the motivation behind the Macedonians' generosity.
It's, it's, it's that simple. Maybe we try to complicate it. But this, I believe, is the most profound truth about this very topic, about generosity, giving, whatever you want to put it, stewardship. Because everything else takes second place to this one vital truth when it comes to the motivation of giving of any sort. The only true motivation that is from on high that will be true and genuine is the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is what moves our hearts. His goodness, his grace towards us, unmerited favor that we don't deserve is what he sends our way. And as a result, we are transformed in the process in the grips of his grace. And we cannot help but extend that grace to those around us. So the idea of what stewardship is, is not just about money, obviously. Did you ever hear the four, the, four, uh, the four parts of stewardship? There's four T's. There's, there's our temple. It's our body. Things that God has given us. There's our time, our treasure, and our talents, the abilities God's given us. All these things he has put within our grasp, not because it belongs to us. This is all his but he allows us to be stewards of what is his for one single purpose. To be conduits of his grace to the people around us. That's the only reason he has given you what you have. What he's given me, what I have. Maybe even those candy corns. It's to bless somebody else around you. It's to extend the grace of God in tangible ways to a world that needs grace, to a graceless place where people are dying to know that somebody loves them unconditionally, that somebody cares, that they matter, they're important. And God is the one who wants to communicate that through us. And so when it comes to our time, it's extended to our families, to our friends, to each circle. It goes out in concentric circles from around us, to our neighbors, to our workplaces, to the stranger that we come in contact with. Everybody comes in the sphere of grace, in God's grips of grace when we are surrendered to him. When we've received and experienced his grace, we cannot help but to extend that to other people. If there's any other motivation in giving anything of ourselves, it will be fleeting. It is only the grace of God that will truly have lasting power. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. In other words, do good to each other without complaining about it. Did you ever do that? You did something nice for somebody, and then you said, oh, they didn't even appreciate it. They didn't even say thank you. Did you ever do that? Then you looked at your bank account and said, man, I shouldn't have done that. I can't even afford that. No, the Bible says when we do something, do it without grumbling. Extend the grace of God Hands down, unreservedly, no questions asked. As each one has received a gift, whatever that gift may be, whether it's your time, your treasure, your talent, and your temple, God wants us to pour our life, our very being, into other people around us. Minister to one another. And I love this. Here's where it's at. It says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Did you hear that? We are stewards of the grace of God. Everything that God has placed within our grasp, within our responsibility, is all about his grace. We are stewards of the grace. That's why when we receive his grace, experience it, we extend it to those around us. The solution to stinginess is a reorientation to the generosity of Christ in the gospel, where he has poured out all of his wealth for us so that we could be rich in him, and pour those riches out to those around us. What makes us faithful or generous is not just a redoubled effort to follow moral rules, to be a better person, to be altruistic, because anyone can do that. But when the grace of God grips us, 
and the motivation is extending God's grace, it makes all the difference because the change comes from the deepening understanding of the salvation of Jesus and living out the changes that understanding creates in our hearts and our minds. The transformation of God. Faith in the gospel restructures our motivations, our self-understanding, our identity, and even our view of the world. It changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The grace of God changes everything. Have we experienced the grace of God is the question today. Because maybe what we're saying feels foreign. Grace of God sounds good. I appreciate it. But it hasn't really made a difference in my life. If it's not made a difference, then maybe we need to take another look at the grace of God. We need to daily take a fresh look and be reminded of God's grace. Prayerfully asking God to reveal his grace in new ways, to open up our hearts, to do away with the roadblocks that we've set in place that keeps us from receiving the fullness of his grace in our hearts and understanding it and experiencing it and living it and extending it. Maybe we've grown up in an environment that was lacking grace, and so we don't know how to extend grace. Maybe we grew up in an environment where we were always being compared or, or when we were always being put down, and so we don't know what grace is like. And so we don't know how to show other people that grace. Friends, I want to share with you that God is bigger than what's ever happened to you in your life. God's grace is stronger. It is greater. God's grace can break through those barriers if we allow it, if we ask him to. Whatever baggage we have, we can lay it on the shoulders of Jesus and say, you take this burden, I can't bear it anymore, and place your yoke of grace upon me. For Jesus' yoke is easy. It's the yoke of grace and his burden is light. He will find rest for your souls. And you'll extend that rest to those around you in the environment that you exude from your life because you are the aroma of Jesus. When people come around you, they'll say, man, this person smells like Jesus. They'll be in the atmosphere of grace. I see something different. I, I sense something different because God's grace is being extended through you. This past week, I was at a stop sign. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I forget which day it was. It was early in the morning. I was coming back from exercising. It was still kind of pretty dark. And I came to a four-way stop near my house. And as I was pulling up, there was actually a lot of cars there at this time. People were just getting out to work, the early birds. And so I came to the stop sign. And I, did you ever get to a stop, a four-way stop, and you weren't quite sure who was there first? You kind of saw it. Was it me or them? You're kind of like going, I'm not sure. And so, and so a lot of times when I do that, I'll just say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wave them forward. I don't know. In this case, it was kind of dark. I wasn't sure if he could see me, but I was waving the individual. There was four people there. When all of a sudden, nobody was moving. So it's like, it one of those little gridlock things where you're waving them. They're not sure what to do. You're not sure what to do. People are getting impatient even after two seconds. And so suddenly, after about three seconds, I heard a voice. I heard a voice that I'd never heard before. It was audible. It wasn't God. If that's what you were thinking. But maybe somebody who thought they had some power. It said, you in the white SUV. It was your turn. Good going. That was it. Then I saw the police car pull forward. <laughs> I got shamed by a cop. So I was trying to be nice. But instead, I held up traffic. Sometimes, sometimes living the gospel might cause you to get shamed. But don't worry about it. <laughs> because Jesus was shamed all the time when he was living the gospel. He was the gospel. And the world received him not. Whatever the world may think of us, keep pressing on. Live Jesus. 
be a conduit of grace. When people don't deserve your time and your smile, give it anyway. When the person's grumpy behind the counter, tell them to have a good day. When the person in front of you, like it was this morning, is going really slow, ask my son. I was getting impatient. Instead, pray for him. (laughs) Don't muddle under your breath like sometimes I do. Be a conduit of grace. Because that's what God calls us to be. The question we always ask, according to grace, is what is the most loving thing to do? When it comes to giving, whether it be our time, our treasure, our talent, even of our temple, our body, our very being, I want you to remember this. We can, we can give without loving. You can give for all sorts of reasons. You can give because you don't want to feel guilty, or we can give because we don't want to be shamed, or we, we, fear, we fear what might happen if we don't do it. Maybe God's going to not hear our prayers if we don't do what we think he wants us to. Whatever our motivation might be, we can give for those reasons. We're out of obligation. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. You can, you can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving because love is always extended towards others. It always is sacrificial. God's grace is always extended, and it always costs something in our life. It's the cost of discipleship. That's why, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, when, God, when Jesus calls a disciple, he calls him to come and die because we give everything up for Jesus. Our convenience, our time, whatever he asks of us, there's no limit to what he may ask. And the question is, because of his grace, are we moved, are we transformed in the place where he will be allowed to move? Or we allow him Give him permission because he won't force his way in to have full control. Verses 5 through 7, we'll finish here. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. They submitted the Macedonians, here's the key, they submitted themselves first to the Lord. And because of that submission to Jesus, they were able to be submitted to us to sacrifice their good for our good. So we urge Titus that he had begun, as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Notice that whenever we talk about giving, whenever we talk about sacrifice, he keeps using the word grace. It's always about grace. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also the grace of giving because God gave it all for us. What are we willing to give in response to the grace of God? And that's our question today. What is God calling you to give? What is he calling me to give up for him to make a difference in somebody's life, to extend his grace? Maybe it's my time. Maybe it's part of my funds Maybe, maybe it's a, a gift he's given me or an ability that he's given specifically to bless somebody else. What is he calling us to bless somebody else with today? To extend his grace. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And as we bow our heads, I just want to ask that as we're praying, if you want to say to the Lord, Take my life. Open my heart to a new dimension, a new new openness to your grace that maybe I didn't have before so that I can be transformed, that I can be in the midst of, of your grace, experiencing your goodness, unmerited favor. As sinful and as broken as we are, God's grace goes beyond all those things. There's no sin in your life no struggle that is too big for God's grace. 
His grace covers all. And so maybe we need to offer something up to him today. Maybe something we've been holding on to, feeling like it's too big for him to handle. And we need to say, Lord, just take this. He'll take it. He's got broad shoulders. He can handle anything. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today not because we are worthy, but because Jesus is worthy. Lord, we are all recipients of your grace, whether we recognize it or not. The fact that we are breathing today is a result of your grace. The fact that our heart just took another beat is your grace. Father, we want to experience your grace in its fullness. And you've exemplified that through Jesus. You've you've given up everything. He who had it all, the, the riches of the universe, gave it all up so that we can have the riches in him. So that we can be seated with him in heavenly places and one day soon dwell with you forever. But Lord, as we view and contemplate your grace, may we be transformed. But not just transformed, May we be filled with your grace overflowing so that those around us would also experience that grace. Whatever roadblocks in our life, things we are holding on to, baggage, scars, whatever those may be, Lord, we pray that you'd take those out of the way so that your grace may abound. And so, Lord, you can use us as the people you want us to be. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you and we give you all the praise and glory. And we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do through this congregation, through each person here, in their homes, in their marriages. What a difference it would make in every marriage if we were just people of grace. And to our kids, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to the strangers that we come in contact with, may we be conduits and pictures of your grace. We thank you, Lord. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand for this song, I know you all know this.
gracious Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, we leave here in your grace, we leave here in your presence. Bless us this week. Guide us, direct us, protect us, surround us with your presence. And Lord, bring us back again next week to collectively worship out of the fruits of a week-long experience with you. We thank you, Lord, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a reminder, if you would like special prayer, we will have some elders here up front to pray with you. So please come forward if you'd like to have special prayer with one of our elders. They'll be here. And also, as another reminder, 3 o'clock we'll be having the memorial service for Alice Rivas. So please come join us as we celebrate her life and support the Rivas and Lopez family. God bless. We'll see you soon.